I also think for people who are maybe more new to go, who are newbies to the space, like that's a real advantage. Like how often in your adult life do you get to start from zero? Like when you went to school and learn a whole new thing from scratch. Mm. I think being new is such an advantage and it also plays into what you would tell yourself, Natalie, when you were little. Like you get to ask all the questions and no one, people just assume you're gonna ask all of the silly questions because you're new. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Get $100 in hosting credit at Leno.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean, Droplets, Managed Kubernetes, Managed Databases, Spaces, Object Storage, Volume Block Storage, Advanced Networking like Virtual Private Clouds and Cloud Firewalls, Developer Tooling like the Robust API and CLI to make sure you can interact with your infrastructure the way you want to. DigitalOcean is designed for developers and built for businesses. Join over 150,000 businesses that develop, manage, and scale their applications with DigitalOcean. Head to do.co slash changelog to get started with a $100 credit. Again, do.co slash changelog. Go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. This is our first episode live from GopherCon. We had a lot of fun at the event, and we hope to see you IRL at the next one. Oh, and one more thing: stick around for the outro because we have a special announcement pertaining to this episode. Okay, here we go. Hello, and welcome to a very special installment of GoTime, the GopherCon mashup. Um, I'm Matt Ryer, and welcome to everyone listening live at GopherCon, and also to people listening in the podcast in the future. Very nice for you to travel through time in that way for us. Today, uh, we're talking about the secret life of gophers. We've collected three disparate gophers from about the globe, or from a across the flat earth if you know i just want to make sure we're inclusive and they're going to tell us their stories and shed a little bit of light uh, on what it's like to be them so let's meet them well natalie pistonovich hello hello matt Ryer. welcome to the show thank you so much and it's awesome to be here for the second time thank you very much for the invitation yeah you keep making a great host oh thank you very much i've only just started yet you won't probably be saying that Later, things tend to deteriorate in the second half. We'll see. So you work at Aerospike, right? Are you a developer advocate there? Yes. Cool. So we'll, we'll definitely be interested to learn more about that too later on. Uh, we're also joined by Angelica Hill. Hello, Angelica. Hello. Welcome to Go Time. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. First time and very excited. Good. You're more than welcome. And you you are a product manager at the New York Times, right? Yes, product manager at the New York Times. I manage our emails, newsletters, and breaking news alerts. And I work mm. with wonderful developers. <laughs> oh, okay. So we'll, we'll like to hear more about those. And the New York Times is a newspaper, isn't it, in New York? 
Yeah, it's just this very, very small publication. I know not very many people know about it, but, you know, we're really trying to build our brand. Well, best best of luck to you. Yeah, we wish you all the best. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And we also have Chris Brando. Hello, Chris. Hello, Matt. Welcome to Go Time. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's a pleasure. You are a senior software engineer at Wonderkind. Is that right? That is correct. Is it Wonderkind or Wonderkind? I feel like it should be. I think we, uh, there's a lot of debate about how to pronounce it in the company. I say Wonderkind, but... Wonderkind. It's whatever you want it to be. Oh, nice. I like that. Uh, Well, let's dig in. I mean, we've met you, I think. Good introductions out the way. I want to ask first of all is, what's the first thing you're going to do when you can travel again? When COVID's over and what's the first thing you do? What's the first place you're going to go to? Chris, why don't you kick us off? I'm a little bit boring and like an introvert so I don't travel much but mm-hmm. I definitely want to go back to a bar and just like hang out on a Friday night with my friends and like have a drink in a crowded bar I never thought I'd want to be in a crowded bar again but like I just want to be around a bunch of people so mm. that's what I would do so it's it's changing you if you're an introvert and that's real that's a real change <laughs> yeah what about you Natalie what's the first thing you're gonna do any ideas? I'm probably going to go to some Scandinavian country and hike for a week in a row. You know, in Sweden, you're allowed to put up a tent anywhere you want. You don't have to go to a dedicated camping site. Really? What? Not in like in a shop or in a train or something, are you? In any public area, I would say. Not in private territories, yeah. Oh, I'd be doing that all over the... But you can go hike, hike, hike in the middle of the forest, set up a tent. You don't need to wait for the camping site. Just go on. So. Oh, Just great. soak in some nice nature. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Uh, Angelica, same question to you. I mean, I just want to go home. I'm, I'm on the first flight to London. <laughs> I'm desperate <laughs> to go home. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's been tough for sure. Yeah. Well, okay, so Go, yeah, it has lots of different fans and it has people like it for lots of different reasons. So I'm interested, what was it that, where did you first hear about Go? When was that? And what was it about Go specifically that was attractive? Angelica, why don't you kick us off how did you first hear about go so i first heard about go about i would say a year and a half ago and Mm. it was so long story short i always loved computer science loved technology but never really took the time to dive into it my background's in shakespeare i went to drama school and then i went and studied english literature and then i went to columbia journalism school so nothing to do with computer science whatsoever uh, started working on a very technical team at the New York Times, thought, okay, great, this is an excuse for me to go and try and learn more. It's going to be beneficial to my job, but also I kind of like it a little bit, enough to invest time. Went to a after-work course and started learning JavaScript, HTML, and became obsessed. <laughs> it was so fun. It was. It gave me such happiness, such joy. So I basically started asking every single software engineer I could find what language they wrote in, asking tips and tricks. And I stumbled upon Go. One of my colleagues at the New York Times was obsessed with it. And he just went on and on how great it was. And so I said, okay, teach me. And it was the first language that I really felt I could understand. And I kind of had a bit of an epiphany moment where I was like, oh, this is not all gobbledygook. I can definitely do this. Uh, and just kind of went from there. So do you think that there was anything specific about Go that made it easy to learn or easy to pick up? I mean, honestly, I think it was just that I had a really good support system at the start. Like mm. I was diving in self-teaching, but I had a group of people I found who loved Go and really were willing to dedicate the time to help me understand the basics. And also 
explained them to me in a way that was very easy for my kind of then, I would say, non-technical brain to understand. Mm. A lot of analogies were used. Right. Yes. That's very helpful, isn't it? Yeah. Be- well, some languages, they're kind of packed with features. And one of the nice things about Go is because it is a bit of a minimalist language, it has a sort of simplicity to its design. I've heard people say that because of that, it does actually make it quite easy to pick up and learn. And I think that's something, you know, some other languages have very powerful things they can do. But of course, there's more concepts to learn, you know, like object-oriented programming, for example. You can kind of skip over that in Go and you don't really miss it either. So that's interesting. So you don't have a computer science background. You learned because of just curiosity. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly would say there is no language that I don't think I now can't learn. I think it was just Go that got me over the hurdle of saying, no, I'm not technical. But now I feel very strongly that anyone can learn Go or any software engineering language. They just need to kind of like de-spoof the idea of I'm not technical. I'm technical. That's not a thing. Everyone is technical. Everyone can do it. Right. Oh, that's very encouraging to hear. Okay, so Natalie, what about you? I know you've been in and around Go for a while. I've seen you at conferences, doing talks. You did a workshop this time. We've even worked together in the past. So where did you first hear about Go? I first heard about Go when I moved to Berlin. And before that, I was thinking I will work in NVIDIA and do really cool, massive parallel things and all the hardware, all the things together at the same time. And then I moved to Berlin and Berlin is all about software, not about hardware. But luckily the company where I started working, uh, they were using Go before it was even 1.0. Oh, wow. So in 2014, yeah, when I joined, this was like the second year of the company, I want to say, they said, uh, you're welcome to work here, but you have to learn Go. And I said, all right, let's do this. And then... (laughs) I got to do all the parallelism that I wanted still. So that was a nice turn of events. And um, that's how I got familiar with Go. But my background is uh, in computers. I studied computer engineering. And even in high school, my major, or how you call that, uh, was the same field. Mm. Okay, cool. So that's that's interesting then. So this was out of necessity, you need, you know, for a job. This was something. That's unusual that the team had started using Go before version one. Um, but good for you, yes. I guess. It's indeed not a very exciting way to start, but you know what is very exciting? Um, taking pictures and tweeting about this podcast and about the conference with the hashtag of GoVerCon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I just feel like we've had product placement there. Um, Chris, do you want to plug any products? <laughs> uh, not particularly. No, but so where did you first encounter Go and what was it that attracted you to it? So I think I have a background quite similar to Angelica. I, uh, well, interestingly, like my parents both were like computer people. Oh, like robots, like well. androids. <laughs> Not quite. Human. Right. Uh, my dad does have a master's in computer engineering specializing in robotics, though. So oh, close, cool. close. Oh, that's a cool dad, isn't it? Yeah. But so yeah. growing up, I um, not, wanted nothing to do with computers. I would like build computers for my dad, but like it wasn't a career I wanted to do. I wanted to be an author. I was like, I'm going to be a writer. That's what I'm going to do at family events. People would be like, what are you going to do when you grow up? Are you going to be go into computers like your parents? Like, no, no, I'm going to be an author. And that's actually what I went to college for. I got mm. a creative writing and broadcasting and mass communications degree. And I was just like, yeah, mm. it's going to be great. I'm going to be a writer. And then like senior year rolled around, really junior year. And there were all of these websites that needed to get built. So I was like, I can sort of do this. And 
I started building websites and I was like, oh, I, I like this. So I like, kept doing it and I learned this fun little content management system called Drupal. Um, and basically during one of those summers, I like looked at Go a little bit, but was like, I don't quite understand this. So I'm mm -hmm. just going to stay at Drupal, which I know, uh, which I did for a few more years. And then one night, I think it was actually on the night that I met Sam Boyer, who became, who is one of my really close friends. We were just sitting at a bar talking and I was like, man, there's like something I don't like about like the software I'm writing. And he was like, oh, I know what that is. That's like complexity. You don't like complexity. Mm -hmm. You should look at Go. Go is really a simple language and it's elegant and it's beautiful and you should try it out. And so I did. And that was kind of the end of uh, me writing Drupal professionally and like the beginning of my Go career. And that was like seven plus years ago now. So it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride, but that was like the introduction to it. Just like, oh, you like simplicity, go write this language. Mm, that's great. I love the idea that, because most kids rebel from their parents in some way, the fact that your parents were in computers is kind of funny that you rebel against uh, using tech. I mean, my nephews, you know, that would never happen. They are not going to rebel that way. But that was really interesting to hear that. So... You mentioned you wanted to be an author when you grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up now? Still an author. I mean, I, I also see myself as an author. I have this uh, opinion about software engineering that I've been kind of circling around with my friends that software engineering is a writing discipline as well as an engineering discipline. Like the thing that we all do every day is write. It's source code. It looks a little different, but it's still the same sort of thing. And I use a lot of the same skills I learned in college with a creative writing degree to write good software. Um, so yeah, still want to be an author when I grow up, just, uh, <laughs> not, not writing novels or screenplays. Yeah. That's really interesting then. So tell me a bit more about that. Have you got an example then of something that you, a, a principle or a technique that you can apply that applies both to, you know, prose writing or code? Yeah. I mean, I think I, a lot of my gopher contact from last year talked about this too, about how like similar, uh, the publishing industry is to the software engineering industry. Hmm. But I think uh, like a good concrete example, I think like the way that we do code reviews is very similar to the way that uh, copy editing works. And like right. the things that you do as you're copy editing are very similar to things that you do as you're code reviewing just for like a slightly different domain. It's mm. a good point, actually. I think people should probably use GitHub if they're writing because you can have pull requests and stuff, can't you? And see the changes in the history and things. It'd be quite nice to do a pull request to Harry Potter and change it so that, you know, <laughs> uh, Voldemort could win. <laughs> Or did the last season of Game of Thrones? Oh my yeah, gosh, redo yes. that. Rewrite it. Just do a pull request and delete it. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, so has that changed for you, Natalie? Did you Were you always kind of going to be doing computers or did you ever want to be something different? I wanted to be an astronaut. Right. But very early on, um, I got my glasses when I was in the sixth grade. So that was kind of a deal breaker. Why? Not aware you can be uh, in space, at least these days, but I'm sure that a couple of generations into the future, it will not be a big deal, just mm. like flying planes. And what I really want to be now is a person with enough free time to nerd about space without having to do really committing things like boot camps or whatever astronauts, physical training and so on have to go through. You know, yeah. just enjoy the space without the heavy commitment. Now you've got to go in that thing that spins you around dead fast first. I know that. <laughs> I, don't, I think it should be. What astronauts aren't looking at things, are they? They're just in space. They're not actually driving it. So I feel like you don't need, you shouldn't need glasses. But we'll bring that up with NASA. Thank you. Yeah. So would you go to space? 
Because there's some commercial absolutely. space. Yeah, you would. If only I can afford this, I will absolutely do this. Now I'm watching The Expanse and that's like as close as I feel to, to the space. There's that show about Mars. Mm. There's, there's enough, some space content out there to, until I can wait it out and go to space. I'd probably go, but not, not on the first couple of flights. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let them just go. I'll just wait a bit. Yeah. So there's something then that's interesting. So Angelica, you're a, a product manager. And yeah. a lot of us programmers interact with product managers in some way, usually mm-hmm. in a team. And sometimes there's a, let's call it a healthy tension <laughs> between de- the hate of the Tell me, do, do you hate your devs? I no, I, I love my devs far too much. Like yeah. I am so mushy with my team. I think I tell at least one member that I love them every day. Um, <laughs> I am a very loving product manager, but I would agree. Nice. I mean, there is definitely a, a dichotomy there around having a kind of product mentality to the work we're doing versus being head of the game, kind of a software engineering mentality. So I would say... I have learned more and more as I go through work more closely with my team, with other teams, that the way that I see our product is very different to the way that my engineers see our product. And that's great. That's wonderful. It means that when we're having product discussions, we can have all those various different viewpoints. But it has meant that as I got more technical, as I dived into Go more specifically, because that's our kind of backend language we use, I have had to make the kind of conscious decision, okay, now we're going to have an engineering discussion where I'm going to have my engineering hat on. Okay, now I need to switch to my product hat and actually kind of talk about business value, OKRs, etc. And also, I think as just personally, I I kind of I was joking uh, before we, we went live on the fact that I've kind of been a gopher on the down low. (laughs) <laughs> very kind of secretive about yeah. how much I love Go just because it, it results in the inevitable question of that I get from my manager and have got from my manager multiple times now of like, oh, Angelica, you seem to really like this this Go stuff. Uh, are you sure you don't want to be a software engineer? Mm. So I, I would say there's definitely a tension. I can speak for, for only myself when I say I love all of my, my team. But whether they love me and the fact that I'm constantly switching between these two hats, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because often you, you work with people and the perspective is so different. And of course, you don't expect product managers to understand all the technical things that are happening. But usually you can end up in a situation where feature requests or new features and things are kind of written out, sometimes described a bit too well, and they just don't fit in the tech anywhere. So does do you having a knowledge of Go, does that help you kind of see those things early? Does it help in other ways too? Yeah, so I would say it works in two core ways. One is that I can actually engage in all of these great conversations my engineers are having. I can understand the issues and their complexity and how big of an issue they are. So for example, if we don't have you know, an effective staging environment, if we don't have you know, great unit co- test coverage, if we don't have things that, if I didn't know anything about software engineering, if a, an engineer came to me and said, oh no, Angelica, we need to dedicate you know, a month to writing unit tests, I'd be like, uh, okay, why is that important? We need to build this new feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it, it enables me to understand what is more important in terms of tech debt, et cetera. But it also means that when I go to leadership on the product side and they say, why are you spending two months working on tech debt? 
I have that language. I have that ability to really validate it to him and be like, no, this is why it's important. This is why we need to do this stuff. Um, mm. So I think it, it works well because of that. Um, and also, honestly, for me, it means that if there are small engineering tasks, which is what I'm aiming to get to, that aren't challenging to my engineers, aren't new problems that they can dive into, aren't things that are really helping them with their growth. I want to get to a place where like, I can just pick up that ticket and do it. <laughs> like, Because it's exciting to me. I'm learning. I'm very new. Why should they have to do these menial tasks when I can very much do them and they can do the more interesting work? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's great, honestly. And to me, it can only be a benefit to the team having that knowledge, frankly. I'm sure some people don't see it that way they see it like you know you are you have to have that distance because you want to be able to make all these unreasonable demands on the developers don't you no yeah there are certainly i, I would say there are certainly people on both sides both engineering and product who feel like in order to be truly great at the product discipline you need to really be all in all the time absolutely be empathetic to all the other disciplines you know design ux etc that you're working with but if you get too invested then you're not going to be able to have that kind of unbiased, overarching mentality to prioritize what the team's going to work on. Because I'm just going to be like, I love my engineers or whatever they want to work on. I want to help them work on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that does sound good. If you're hiring, now's the time. To <laughs> that's sort of a, a bit of a dream sometimes because, yeah, we've, we've all had uh, varying successes with product managers in the past. It is a very diplomatic way of of again saying how much we don't like each other <laughs> well maybe i can be the first one that you like well <laughs> we'll have to see we'll see but don't hold your breath <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> Hey Gophers, this episode of Go Time is brought to you by Command Line Heroes, a podcast that tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels, people like you, who revolutionized the technology landscape. And season six is available right now. This season tells the stories of black technologists who invented and innovated despite racism, unfair hiring practices, and unequal education opportunities. Got a sneak preview of season six and love the episode with Dr. Mark Dean. Mark holds three of the nine patents for the IBM 5150. That's the first IBM PC that included the revolutionary ISA bus, which he also created. And also enjoyed the episode with Gladys West, whose mathematical work and data analysis paved the way for GPS, something we all use every single day. Command Line Heroes is hosted by developer and podcaster and also friend of the show, Saranya Bark, whom we featured on the Changelog and Founders Talk in the past. Season 6 of Command Line Heroes is out right now. Search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to podcasts or check the show notes for a link to listen and learn more. Huge thanks to our friends at Command Line Heroes for their support. you're doing devrel stuff so what's that like are you are you just part of the engineering team uh, or are you kind of do you have other focuses as well is it similar to being a product manager it's interesting as a question for me because i think different companies do this in a different way right. and i joined aerospike as the first 
for now only developer advocate. So I get to kind of figure out how things should be. They trust me a lot to bring in recommendations. So the person I'm reporting to is the CTO. There is um, an engineering, entire engineering team in parallel to me. So, you know, no big deal. Me and like some tens of awesome engineers <laughs> reporting to the same person eventually. Um, I do work a lot with product. I do work a lot with marketing and I do kind of try to balance everything all together. Um, it includes things like uh, building a developer hub, right? You want to place that developers, um, once they actually heard of Aerospike, because it seems to be a database that if you know it, you, you like it, you use it. But if you don't know it, you're, what is this? Is mm-hmm. it aerospace? Um, <laughs> that's not the reason I went to work there. <laughs> <laughs> Do they make you go in a big spinning centrifugal machine to work there or no? The office is built like a spaceship. No, it's not. I wish it would be. It should be. It's a good idea. <laughs> that could be your next um, initiative. Yes. But they do bring to me a lot of questions. Like, um, you are a developer. This is like, how would you like to get to know if you land on this page and you hear about this for the first time, how would you like to your journey to be? So in this sense, it's a, somewhere between user experience and product but then in other things like uh, go and make a cool project now it's like, okay <laughs> and then back to the engineering hat yeah. mm, it's yeah. a lot of everything that's cool i mean that the developer experience um i think is way more important than historically people have kind of given it credit for in my experience as a developer you know yes we're technical but that doesn't mean everything can just be complicated and ugly you know so yeah, I really do yeah. appreciate people on teams that have that eye, care about that developer experience. You also do a lot of community organizing and things. For example, do you not, I know you do, uh, you do the uh, GopherCon EU, don't you? GopherCon Europe. We're inclusive even to European non-EU countries. Oh, members. I that's good. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> if I was going to be allowed or not next time. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, GopherCon yeah. No, sorry. I was going to say, like, how did you get into doing that stuff, the community side? And why do you do it? Why do I do this? Because it sparks joy. That's uh, for a while I said because I like this, but then a better answer came up. Um, I, it, it's more than just enjoying it. It actually is like fun to do all this. And how it started, you can go back uh, quite a lot. I, was, I am doing the Go user group in Berlin. Um, before that, I was doing um, in university all the student union and so on. I think this is something that just like goes on with me wherever I go, organizing things for whatever the community of the place is. And it's nice to to have discovered that this exists also in the world of engineering. So it doesn't leave you once you're out of university. And the jump from organizing a user group to organizing a conference is big. But the organizing team of GopherCon, especially Heather, is um, are super awesome and really great and supportive and helping a lot with uh, thinking about things and like sharing from their experience. And you make a lot of mistakes and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything like from a, as a community organizer, is there anything that, is there any sort of, advice you want to give to people that are attending events are there any things you wish everyone just knew and just did ask a lot of questions Mm. as a speaker as an organizer um, whoever 
the position I'm in on the other side, if you will, having people engage with you and uh, showing that they want to know more or they're curious about what you do is really great. Mm. And uh, it's sometimes it's a, a lot of information. Sometimes the talk is not very clear or not too high level, too, too low level for whatever you are, but you can always find something to ask and that really warms the heart when people do that. So please ask questions. Mm, that's nice advice. How do you kind of ensure that you're going to get good quality when you uh, put the program together what sort of techniques do you use to make sure i'm asking this because look at look at this conference gophercon and look at gophercon eu the quality of the talks are kind of astonishingly good so how do you do that how do you keep that quality there thanks for the compliment to gophercon europe and i absolutely agree that the, the talks in gophercon here in this gophercon is great uh, i think the secret is the same everywhere. Just have a good reach of your call for papers. So make sure you get a lot of good and mixed um, submissions and that your review committee is also mixed and diverse enough and has like a good wider image uh, when they build the talks. Mm. Yeah, I would say the reach is might be even harder than actually the picking, even though picking is a really hard job. And having been in some review committees for not just go conferences, it's really hard to review and it's even harder to pick what's really good. But reaching out to those people who would otherwise never hear about you when you just use the, your regular channels, this is the bigger challenge. Because there's awesome speakers, awesome projects out there, and it's very easy uh, to miss them if they're outside of your network. Yeah, I think if people can reach those people as well, if you know somebody that you know that isn't part of these communities, welcoming them in, I think is great. And I do think Go does a good job with that. Uh, Chris, you're talking at GoForCon. What's your talk about? I mean, my talk just happened, but um, yes, oh, yeah. it is about diversity and inclusion and how we can build better Go community by building a more diverse and more inclusive community. Mm. Okay, so I find this subject to be really quite interesting. I know that uh, GopherCon in particular, I remember the first GopherCon, had a kind of focus from the beginning on making sure that, you know, people that were otherwise not represented had a place at the conference. Have you found Go to be doing a, a good job with this? And is there more we can do? Yeah, I, I think in general, the Go community especially when you compare it to other like software engineering communities is like mm. pretty good at this. Um, we have like good amounts of diversity or at least decent amounts of diversity. And we're like a very inclusive community. I find mm -hmm. like it, there haven't been many times when I've like been in discussions with people where I felt like, Oh, I don't, I don't feel like I belong here. Or I don't feel like I can be a part of this conversation. So I think like that's really good and like a really positive aspect of the, mm -hmm. the go community. And I think really like the, the way that we get toward having a more diverse community is by doing more of that stuff. I feel like when people first start thinking about diversity and inclusion, it's always like really big things like, oh, well, we should start a, a program at some school to get more kids to learn software engineering. So in 10 years, they can become Go engineers. And it's like, <laughs> or we could just like, you know, watch the way that we interact with each other and speak with each other and try to be like just a little bit more inclusive. Mm. So I think like that that's really what what tends to be helpful. I think contrary to a lot of uh, you know popular opinion, there are a lot of people of different backgrounds spread throughout software engineering as a whole. But I think over time people just stop wanting to participate 
in communities because it, it can be extremely exhausting. I mean, it can be extremely exhausting to participate in this industry as a whole when it comes to, to work. So if you're getting exhausted at work by people, you know, by not feeling included and by people like disrespecting you or slighting you in small ways, then you're just not going to have the energy to go out into the community and deal with the same stuff. So like as a community, we kind of have to compensate for uh, the sad state of, you know, software engineering companies right now and, and what their cultures are. And I think if we like focus on that and focus on how can we like undo some of that uninclusive harm that people are feeling, that's how we, you know, grow our community. Yeah, that is really interesting. One of the pushbacks, and I've had this myself, because I tend to, when I do a talk, I tend to call out how, uh, uh, you know, that, that Go has a focus on this and it's important. And occasionally I will get people who challenge it. And usually it's this idea that if everything's meant to be equal, then we shouldn't be talking about this at all. And for me, it's about that thing, as you pointed out there, you sort of inherit, uh, we, we inherit these biases um, f just from the societies that we're in. So it does seem that active action is needed to balance that out. Otherwise, we just, it's like object-oriented programming. You just get the, you just get it from the base class terrible and and i also feel like um there's there's a lot of nuance that comes with like the words that we use to describe like diversity equity inclusion equality like and we're we haven't gotten like the right words for it yet i don't think like hmm. i think it's easy when you say like equality people are just like oh like yeah that's that's the thing and then the people try to like dig into it and find ways to undermine what you're saying when like that's not what you mean yeah. um i think there's like that really uh popular image where there's like equality and then equity and it has like um like a fence and like three different people and like some people like the taller person can see over the fence and the shorter person can't and like equality has the boxes all laid out and it's not helping the shorter person uh and then the equity is the one with the boxes where there's like the shorter person can now see because they're getting more boxes yeah. um i've always hated that image Right. And I didn't know why until I read an article that was basically like, even in this image, we have problems because what we're saying is that like, yeah, we, we shouldn't have the fence at all. But we're also saying it's like the the people that have less than are like literally shorter, which isn't right. really the case. It's that really the the ground is kind of like unlevel and everybody's ah. the same height or maybe the person that's can't see is even taller than everybody else. But because mm -hmm. they're so much further down the hill, they can't see over the fence. So what we need to do is more level the field than like give people extra things to like help them up. And I think that helps people start to understand like what it is we're really talking about. Because I mm. think whenever you talk about like giving things to a certain group, people always get like defensive and they're like, well, why does this group get it? Why can't we just give everybody something or something like that? Right. But when you say like, no, the foundation, the very thing that we're all talking about is extremely uneven. Then it's it's less about we just got to give something to people. Then it's much more understandable for people like why we have to fix it. That's really I think you've improved that drawing. We should have that made because that's good. It's better than my base class thing, especially in an, I'm at a conference that doesn't have object oriented programming. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, that I did read that in an article, so I can I'll try and dig that article up and post it in the Discord channel or something for yeah, people. Yeah, please. Yeah.
What's up, friends? Have you ever seen a problem and thought to yourself, I bet I could do that better? Our friends at Equinix agree. Equinix is the world's digital infrastructure company, and they've been connecting and powering the digital world for over 20 years now. They just launched a new product called Equinix Metal. It's built from the ground up to empower developers with low latency, high performance infrastructure anywhere. We'd love for you to try it out and give them your feedback. Visit info.equinixmetal.com slash changelog to get $500 in free credit to play with, plus a rad t-shirt. Again, info.equinixmetal.com slash changelog, get $500 in free credit. Equinix Metal, build freely. So what's the benefit of having diversity within a team and within a community? Because that's another thing. Like there's there's I've I've witnessed benefits to having more diversity. Um but but what what are they? Like let's let's talk about some of them because um again I think that some people think it's just a kind of one-sided thing, but there's there's it benefits everyone, doesn't it, having more diversity? Yeah, um, and there, I haven't dug up the studies in a while, but there's a lot of study going back, I think, like 30 or 40 years of how um, even some like more objective ways of measuring diversity um, enables you to solve problems easier because the, the more that you have similarities, the more that people kind of get stuck on the same thing. So I think one of the biggest things about diversity, one of the like base things about diversity is that it enables you to have different approaches to solving problems. And since most of our job or literally all of our job is solving problems, that means the more diversity we have on a team, the easier it will be for us to solve problems more effectively. Um, and that can be from like, oh, debugging something, but can also just be from like catching bugs that could be catastrophic in production earlier on. Um, all the way to things like um, making sure we don't have like accidental isms. Like I think the one of the most interesting things that I always find about uh, modern day bathrooms in America is that uh, there's a lot of these sensors all over the place and they don't work really well for people that have darker skin because a lot of the companies that build them just don't think about people that have darker skin when they calibrate them. So like Sometimes it's really hard for me to wash my hands or get a paper towel just because the companies themselves aren't diverse enough and weren't thinking of like, oh, well, we have to augment this to like a broader range of skin tones to make it sure, make sure everybody can use it. Mm. So like even those types of bugs, we can really start solving if we just have like one person that's like different from everyone else <laughs> in the room. I see what you mean about it being tiring because I mean, yeah, that's just you just don't need that, do you? Uh, I'd be totally fine. I'm so pale that all the sensors would be going off when I walk in there. No, no problem. My problem with American bathrooms is all the gaps in all the doors. <laughs> like, make the doors join up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so uh, Natalie, you also, there's a big focus on diversity when you do your community organizing too, isn't there? Yes, definitely. I try to bring as much to the table as I can from different experience not to bore the people who have heard the previous episode where I was but I will say in short that I spent a year living in Kenya and I tried uh, when I went back to Germany I 
maintained as many connections as I can. And I use this for things like um, asking all the local user groups to always participate in meetups and in conferences and submit to talks and so on. And now that everything is virtual, this makes this very easy. And this is, of course, becoming a stretch because it's been a couple of years ago. And the last time I was there was with Bill. We gave a workshop with Bill Kennedy. We gave a Go workshop at a, an amazing institute that is called Tuna Panda, which is a one-year training. And then people can get jobs as a developers, not just in Go, but also in Go. And... All this sorts of uh, keeping touch with the uh, communities that are otherwise very much outside of my network is a hard work, but it's also very much worth it. And of course, there's the easier, if you will, uh, diversity work of also making sure to work with the local community, for example, being inclusive more towards women, which is uh, also not a big part of the Berlin tech scene. Working with refugees as much as possible, like talking to organizations and inviting, asking them to invite the people who meet the, for example, school kids, if or if it's uh, people in university age and so on. So invite the relevant groups to all sorts of events that we're organizing. And yes, diversity is a hard work and it's definitely paying off. Yeah, great. Well, you can see it as well in the conference. And again, I think that also speaks to why the talks and things are so interesting there are always always some great surprises at these conferences too so yeah i think that's awesome i was going to ask this question to each of you if you could travel back in time what would you say to your younger self and you can't say like buy bitcoin i mean you can <laughs> but you'd have to tell them when to sell it as well as useless. <laughs> angelica what would you say to your past self past angelica i would probably say don't be afraid to give in to your inner dweeb because I think I've always known that I was a bit of a dweeb, but I just didn't let it fully out. Right. And had I let out the inner dweeb earlier, then maybe yeah. I would be even more dweeby <laughs> now. And that's so great. <laughs> right, and that's, that's a good thing, is it? Yes, it's a very yeah. good thing. Okay, that's nice. I like that. Well, I think anyone listening that's perhaps junior or, or just getting into Go can take that. I think that's a nice, nice bit of advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about you, Chris? If you had a time machine, what would you go? I think I'd tell myself to be uh, kinder to myself. Hmm. I think I was really hard on myself or have been really hard on myself over my life. And hmm. as I've gotten older, I've just realized that like I can still be successful. I can still accomplish things while like not being as like overly critical with myself. I, I tend to think that like everyone else around me is like better than me or like smarter than me or something like that. And I, like, I'm usually just like, man, I'm so dumb. I'm so foolish. I, I don't have anything to share. I probably shouldn't share anything. Or I'm going to look stupid. And that has never really been true uh, throughout my life. It's always been like, I've always had something to share. I've always been able to learn from people. People have always been able to learn from me. So I think like just being kinder to myself with that and like giving myself more space to like breathe or just chill out or a lot of ways too, like just be okay with being an introvert, right? Like, no, you don't have to go out with your friends or you don't have to stay up till 4am all the time. You can, you can go, you can leave the party. It'll be okay. Mm. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. And, and I think that's again, for anybody suffering with imposter syndrome, I think that's quite a nice thing to hear because um, yeah, we all kind of feel like that. I mean, you know, we're, we're here having a chat. It doesn't seem like it, but there's loads of people watching this right now. <laughs> I don't want to put any pressure on anyone, but don't mess up. 
I also kind of feel like as a writer, I'm kind of trained to be like overly critical. Like mm-hmm. as a writer, like nothing I do is ever really like done. Like even my mm-hmm. GopherCon talk, I'm just like, oh my God, there's so many things that are wrong with this. Oh my God, everybody <laughs> will know. And it's like, oh, like I, from my channel, it's like people really liked what I talked about. Yeah. So I think like that's also like in there as well. Does it come out of that pedantry that you have, you think, that you're being so critical? Because when you're doing code, you really kind of need that. That's a, It's kind of an asset, isn't it, pedantry, when, when it comes to code? Is it that? Yeah, and I think that's important to being a writer as well, is that you kind of have that drive to like constantly go over everything you're writing and be like, how can I make this better? How can I make this better? Mm. Um, and I think like one of the things I learned in school was like, yeah, you can do that. You can just keep going. But like there's a date at which you have to publish. There's a date which you have to push to production. Like yeah. you can't just go around in circles forever. Like yeah. it's good enough. Put it out there and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that does apply to software. We've just launched a firesearch.dev, which is a full text search thing. And there's more things we want to do in in it, but you know, you have to release it at some point someone said if you're not embarrassed by your first release then you released too late and i think that there's probably some truth in that uh how about you natalie you got into space you've you've gone in the the, the you know the rocket it's gone off but something's gone wrong and you've t- you've traveled through time and gone back and now you're gonna have a little word with yourself what are you gonna say something between assume less and ask more Um, In my first Mm. full-time job in that company that asked me to learn Go, I was uh, the junior member in a team full of uh, senior backend engineers, and that was completely terrifying. And they were incredibly nice. They were nice and they were explaining to me, and I was... They saw that I'm scared to ask questions. They would sometimes explain to me more, and even when they say, ask, do you understand? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I would say, hmm, stop doing that. (laughs) <laughs> don't assume that people expect Just you say no I don't know yes exactly don't don't assume that people expect you to know this don't be afraid to ask and another really good thing is write down the answers because in the beginning anytime you go to a new company but especially as a junior everything is overwhelming and a lot and it will mess up in your head even if it does make sense in that specific moment because somebody was patient enough to explain you for a long time write it all down mm. okay I think that's great advice yeah they say uh, when you assume it makes an ass out of both of them. <laughs> so what about like some technical things then? Like, let's see if there's any uh, interesting sort of technical bits of advice we can give people. Like what IDE do you use, for example, when you're writing Go? Yes, I'm using VS Code. I'm not using too many frameworks, too many plugins. Um, I, I would say it's pretty basic the way that I like my setup uh, in the IDE, but also in the physical setup. I don't have, even though I've been working from home for a good few years, I only got the nicer equipment, like a light ring or like a microphone now for GopherCon. Um, This is this point of view. So sort of understated, minimalist. Just work on the floor, that's it. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Chris? What IDE do you use? I use Vim. Uh, oh, I, learned, I learned Vim uh, early on in my career, actually. I got tired of like trying to load up what, some of those Eclipse-based IDEs, <laughs> and I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is taking too long. I was like working on servers all the time. I'm like, okay, Vim or Emacs, I have to pick one. I'm like, Vim's installed in more places. I'll just do that one. Uh, and now I'm just kind of stuck with it. Whenever I try to go to an IDE, I'm just like, 
the proficiency loss and the productivity loss is just too much for me. I'm just like, oh, let's just go back to Vim. I'll just, you know, use that. I'm home there. I, I know how everything works. I have everything set up the way I like it. Yeah, you have to learn Vim when you're young while your brain's malleable. <laughs> uh, you can't learn it when you, when you get older. It's impossible. But yeah, and you can do Vim like keyboard shortcuts and things in VS Code, can't you? Uh, yeah, I've I've definitely tried to like move to the the like you know shinier GUI editors before, and they all have like Vim emulation modes. But I like I don't know. I think I just use more advanced things in Vim, so like it never really quite matches up, and it like just it just makes a giant mess. And I'm like, I'll yeah. just I'll just keep using Vim. It, it's working. Mm, I'm happy. I I spent like the three weeks, eight years ago to like really get on board with this. So I'll just keep that investment rolling forward. And it doesn't hurt that you look like a wizard. <laughs> and you have to yeah. change that picture behind you, Chris. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be able to have my <laughs> Vim poster if, uh, if, I, if I didn't write in a Vim all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that's so graphical, that poster. <laughs> I would expect it to just be text. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Angelica, what yeah. IDE do you use when you write Go? I'm team, team VS Code. Yeah. But I would love to learn Vim. And any other recommendations? I'm very much at the start of my GoFrizing journey, so would love to hear more about kind of other text editors, other things people use, because I, I'm i not set on VS Code. I don't know enough about all the others to really mm -hmm. decide yet. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, when if you use Vim, you, to the rest of us, you look like a <laughs> wizard. That, that's, that's, just, that's just true. So that, that, that's got that going for it. Um, but you have to do all kinds of like, strange judo with your fingers for the keyboard shortcuts that's that's emacs not them okay, okay. <laughs> i didn't mean to uh, get into that but yeah I, I don't know i use vs code too so tell me about a mistake that you've made technical or otherwise that you could perhaps warn people about uh we kind of have talked a bit about this with the time travel thing but are there any other like mistakes of things that you would you would just want to share? Don't use your product management credential access to give yourself production access to everything, and then just try and potter around. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's actually a great one. So because you can, you can just go and do anything, can't you? And don't don't just go and potter around the code in production, uh, just because hmm. as you're learning as a learning exercise. Yeah, just don't. Okay, I think that's perfectly fair that's a good one we have to hear the story about what's gone on there at some point maybe you can come back on go time at some point and you can tell us oh, about that catastrophe yes what about you chris have you um what's a mistake that you would warn people about i've made so many mistakes i can't like choose one <laughs> i would definitely say like be wary of burnout and and when you're like actually in the stages of burnout and mm. also like give yourself way more time than you think you need to like get out of that burnout. Mm -hmm. I think like, you know, work environments are especially difficult right now, especially with like companies accidentally gaslighting people all the time. And that leads very quickly to burnout. Um, and I think it's like very hard to recognize when you're burned out. And then also right. just like, it takes way longer to like undo that burnout than it does to like get to the place where you're burned out. So yeah, I think for, my my advice to people would be like just give yourself space to like recover. If you don't feel like doing anything, just don't do anything. Just relax. You don't you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. So how does that sound from a product management point of view? 
Angelica, Angelica. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a big advocate for taking time off and making sure that you aren't exhausted writing code. Uh, I mean, we, in the lead up to the elections, were on Google Hangouts from very early in the morning until like 11pm at night. Mm. And I was not supportive of that, but I was supportive of us getting ready for the elections, meaning mm. this week is much more chill. Right, um, yeah. So I, I definitely think that from a product point of view, absolutely, it's important. I take a lot of time to do one-on-ones with everyone on my team to make sure that people are sleeping enough, um, because otherwise it's it's detrimental both to the product and to them as people. Like I don't mm. want them to be exhausted. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think it's a good one. Uh, I certainly, if I'm tired, I can do more harm than good in code, and so. But yeah, it takes time, doesn't it, to figure that out? I have to interrupt. Because it's that time, believe it or not. It's time for Unpopular Opinions. I actually think you should probably leave. So, who is going to share their unpopular opinion first? Has anyone got one for us? Natalie Pistanovich. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is um, commit to things that you think are way too big and make a really bad idea. <laughs> Do you think you should commit to things that are beyond the realms of possibility? In the right context, I should probably say. <laughs> and when I say this, what I have in mind, uh, probably the first few conference talks that I gave, mm-hmm. I was asked, would you like to give a talk? And I was like, why me? No, it's a bad idea. I don't think I should do this. Yes, I'll do this. And then throughout, all, all the way until that very point, I was like, oh, God, it's going to be terrible. I'm going <laughs> to not prepare enough. The slides are going to be not clear. My accent is funny. Everything is going to be wrong. <laughs> and... Then, like, the minute before, it's like, oh, my God, I'm sick. T- tell them I cannot come. Cancel, call off the entire thing. And then it's like, oh, wow. Okay, maybe it's not so bad. Like, it was terrifying, but I am happy that I did this. Mm-hmm. So, like, most of the decisions, the professional decisions I'm trying to make are reasonable. And I'm trying to think, like, do I want to interview for this company? Do I want to take this task when we do sprint planning and things like this? But leave space for really bad ideas that, that scare you. Not in the sense bad that they will harm you, but mm. bad in the sense that you're terrified. Mm. I think that's a nice one. What do you think of that one, Chris? Uh, no, I, I definitely agree. I, I don't think it's that unpopular because I definitely agree with it. Um, yeah, I think it's like it's it's important to just like go out there and like take on big things. That's definitely what I did with my first GoForCon talk. I was just like, I'm going to submit this, but like I don't I don't think it's really worthy of getting up on stage and talking about. It. And then I did it, and people liked it, and I was like, oh, okay, mm. yeah. So I think like aim big, even for things that you aren't quite sure you know are, are good ideas for you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other unpopular opinions? I've got one. Hmm. Feel like this actually might be an unpopular opinion. Oh. Uh, I guess it really depends on who you are. But I think a lot of the things we usually see as disadvantages, especially when it comes to the the DNI space, like race or gender or sexual orientation, can actually be advantages in a lot of ways. Like say, like, oh well, you have like less, you get less things, like you don't get as much of a leg up because you're a black person within a you know white and Asian dominated industry. 
But I see that as like, oh, well, I have to like work harder. Yes. But then like I know how to work harder so I can just keep working harder. I have the extra stamina. I have the ability to keep going. Um, or like as a queer person, it's like people are like, oh, I would never want to be queer. And it's like, well, I got to choose my life. I got to sit down and think about and figure out what it was that I wanted my life to be. And I see that as like a tremendous advantage. So I think in a lot of ways, like the things we usually see as disadvantages are more just like differences. Uh, and in some cases, as the world changes, they can become advantages. Mm. Oh, wow. That is very positive. Uh, silver linings there. Nice one. I like that one. I really hope that's not very unpopular. Um, Angelica, do you um, have an unpopular opinion? I mean, my unpopular opinion was has already been touched upon by Chris, so I feel like it's less unpopular in this school, because I was going to say I think that despite what I certainly was told growing up, like software engineering is not closer in my mind to like the maths and the kind of science side. I think it's much closer to the humanities and the linguistic side. And I think, like, I would go as far as to say it might be, you know, one of the humanities. It's about interactions, it's about building stuff for your users, but it's also about a language that you are speaking to your computer in. It's like French. Like, my computer is a French person. I'm knowing the language to speak to my computer in so that it knows what I want it to do and what what, what I'm trying to say. So I I would say that's my unpopular opinion, but I think maybe shared <laughs> by my fellow writer, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I think another interesting point on in what you said is that, like, we, while we do use programming languages to talk to computers, I think we use them to talk to each other yeah. more than we use it to talk to the computer. Mm. Yeah, because the, the, the code gets compiled for the computer, doesn't it? When it's code, we're the ones reading it and writing it. Is that what you mean, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hence yeah. why it's a writing discipline. And it's beautifully creative. Like, I think it, certainly when I was being told about Kind of what software engineering was the creativity was left out it's so fun and so creative and it's a real creative outlet yeah. it's great yeah it is even like in go which kind of prides itself in some ways of there not being too many different ways to do things still there's so many different ways you can tackle a problem yeah i think it completely is a kind of creative endeavor i always find programmers tend to also be creative in other ways too you know, so yeah, I find that to kind of they go hand in hand. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Natalie, what do you think about those unpopular opinions that they've said? Are they? Uh, I very much agree. And yeah, I also very much like how positive you, Chris said, you can look on things that are your disadvantage is actually your advantage and how you can go about this. Like I, I'm very happy to hear those. Yeah, but don't do a talk like the silver lining to racism or anything like that, right? <laughs> That's not the... No, no. Yeah. I 100% agree with what Chris said. But I would also say mm. to slightly like twist that a little bit, I also think for people who are maybe more new to go who are newbies to the space, like that's a real advantage. Like how often in your adult life do you get to start from zero? Like when you went to school and learn a whole new thing from scratch. Like mm. I think being new is such an advantage and it also plays into kind of what you would tell yourself Natalie when you were little like you get to ask all the questions and no one like people just exactly. assume you're going to ask all of the silly questions because you're new <laughs> and sometimes asking those silly questions would even shed a new light on something that people are like huh why actually do we do this this way that doesn't yeah, make sense exactly so you can bring a lot of contribution without even realizing just by asking yeah that's true sure. i've been on a team where we had a junior member that was asking all these things and people were saying 
we didn't know that. You know, they they were like, because sometimes you feel like you can't ask those questions, especially if you're meant to be senior in a team. So yeah, I think people should, we should just be a bit more chilled out about things like that. We are a bit too worried um, and it must come from something real. But, you know, we are definitely a little bit worried about asking the silly question sometimes. And, you know, it's okay. That, that's why I think trust in a team is very important. It's why, Angelica, like you, the way that you think about your dev team, I think is a very healthy way to do it for that reason. You can, you can kind of foster this environment that people can make mistakes, that people can ask ask those questions that no one's going to ask. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great And if one. they don't want to ask it, they slack me and I ask it. There you go. So you can do there's like a service. Do you charge yeah, for great. that? I'm, I'm the newbie. I'm, I'm newbie for hire. Ask all your silly questions. It's a, it's a good SAS. You could actually do that as a SAS. Like, I'm, I'm ready. NAS. Yeah, noobs as a service. Slack me. We can make it happen. <laughs> That's a good idea. Okay, we are running very close in fact i think we are uh, more or less out of time it just leaves me enough time to say thank you so much to our guests chris thank you very much um hope you can come back again another time thanks for having me Mm. Uh, angelica you too thanks for um your contributions especially um how you treat your devs (laughs) i try thank you so much for having me yeah, and Natalie, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Matt Fryer. How was your um, How was your workshop that you did? By the way, did you enjoy? Terrifying, it? but uh, yes, I enjoyed it. Like Good. a roller coaster. <laughs> well, we don't know what that means, but we want to find out another time. We've run out of time now. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Are you ready for that big announcement? We had so much fun chatting with Angelica, Natalie, and Chris that we invited the whole lot of them to be regular panelists on the show. And guess what? They said yes. So expect to hear more from these three real soon. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe now in your favorite podcast app or peruse the entire catalog at gotime.fm. There you'll find lists of recommended and popular episodes, transcripts for each, and a whole lot more. Our music is provided by the Beat Freak, Breakmaster Cylinder, and we are brought to you by some awesome sponsors. Shout out to Fastly, Linode, and our brand new partner, Launch Darkly. Welcome aboard. That's all for now. On the next episode, John, Carmen, and the gang welcome the guys who created Play With Go, which sounds super cool. So stay tuned for that one next week. I think we're off now. We may not be. I don't know. Might still be on. I like the arcade tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Mario, isn't it? (laughs) Are we off air now?
Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> it shows live on custom live streaming services. Yeah, they never, yeah, they never know what's going on. Uh, they faded away. Yeah, yeah, we're we're good now. Okay. When I came back, we'll I wasn't sure, but we got the clear, so we're all done. <laughs> I will turn this off. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. So much interesting stuff in that. That was so fun. Really awesome show, useful. guys. That was awesome. Yeah, that was that was. I like that as like the nice like right after my talk. Hmm. I felt that was like a nice little. I I can't word right now, but a nice little transition. <laughs> Yeah, we should maybe do that then uh, at a real co- GopherCon next time. Totally. As they come off stage, go straight into a little a little interview. That'd be nice. Yeah. Right into the recording booth for the after show, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, whether you start drinking. Post-talk and- analysis where Matt <laughs> just breaks down your talk and tells you how awesome it was. Yeah, awesome, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. I'd, I'd very much appreciate that. I'll- how awesome my talk was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless it's not very. But but I've I've seen you Wait, talk, see. so I know you do good ones. I, I'm looking okay. forward to seeing the uh, the GopherCon one. Angelica, you're are you? Yeah, tomorrow. Too? Yeah, tomorrow. Mm. Anyone can be a gopher. Mm, you it. can hear more in depth about my my journey to go for eyes. 